the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let us start. We got some great interviews today. I'll be talking to Congressman, former Congressman Steve King in a few moments uh, and uh, a whole lot more. But I only have a few minutes because I set this up. Oh, Todd Benzman's coming on. Todd, and I, I got a lot to cover with him. So I'm going to do a short segment at the beginning here. But let me set this up. What you need to know is Elon Musk is shaking up the world as social media and America, right? In the world, actually, not just America. But let me point something out. Jack Dorsey's in on it. Now, he may not be in on it formally, meaning that he and Elon Musk uh, hatched a plan together, but Jack Dorsey had an email, excuse me, a text, uh, a text, jeez, I can't even speak. He, he had a, uh, a tweet on his own site, his on Twitter, a few days ago, in which he invoked, he said, basically, I regret what the internet has become. That's basically what he said. And if you look at that in a vacuum, you, you don't realize. So he says something like, the days of Usenet, IRC, the web, even email were amazing. Centralizing discovery and identity into corporations really damaged the internet. I realize I'm partially to blame and regret it. That was from April, I think, 2nd. My point here is, Jack Dorsey for a long time has struggled with the fact that Twitter has gotten so big and so influential and how to make it sort of better and fairer and, and work well. He's been frustrated. It's been a massive moneymaker and he's made a massive money off of it, but he's talked about that and his frustration a couple of days ago, Elon Musk wouldn't do this move. 10% purchase of stock of Twitter on the board now. If Jack Dorsey signaled, I'm not for it, he still owns a massive amount of stock and has a massive amount of influence. I'm just telling you right now, don't be surprised if someday soon you see something like Jack Dorsey saying, I'm with Elon on this, or Jack, or Elon says, let's do what Jack says. As Jack Dorsey once proposed something like, uh, be more transparent about the algorithm that's in use and let people choose what they want to do. If they want to be in an algorithm that's wide open or a very little uh, uh, um, screening, whatever. Elon Musk never takes risks without understanding who the players are. I shouldn't say that. He's had some failures too. I mean, he would say he lost money on things, invested. But I, my bet is that uh, that Jack Dorsey is in on it, meaning that he's sympathetic and therefore signaling it's okay to go this way, and that we're going to see those two be united in saying let's make things different. That's my opinion. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it is great and a great honor uh, to have 
my old friend, uh, Congressman Steve King. Uh, Congressman King, of course, is very well known uh, for his great leadership on a number of issues. Uh, we talk a lot about him and his role uh, with um, on pro-life in the last few years, really leading on the heartbeat bills and and also just uh, being articulate. But he's on a, on a number of issues. He has been a great conservative leader, and he's got a new book called Walking Through the Fire, Walking Through the Fire, probably the perfect um, guy to write that book and that title. So welcome, Congressman Steve King. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm happy to be on with you today, Ed. And I want to tell your listeners, too, that I want to thank you on the air right now, because of all of the heat that came on me, you're one that stood with me all the way through. And those friends are hard to find standing on principle living in by the principles of altruism christianity before that so thanks thanks well you're nice to, you're, not, you're nice to tell everybody that i appreciate it and i will say um you uh that, that partly it's our own uh, uh relationship our friendship and also seeing you in in office and the value i remember sitting in your office and saying you know you just being here is so valuable and so important in the congress um but also phyllis schlafly the late phyllis schlafly my old boss she believed in you and believed in what you did in your whole life and your career arc. And so uh, it was great. It was great to do it. Now, having said that, when we sat in that office, I can picture it. I, I really said, you being here again, you know, winning again is probably the most important thing. And you didn't win. And for a man of faith like you, I know. I mean, I know you, you won lots of races in your career. You, you, you did took on lots of fights. You didn't always win, but you always felt like that, that loss to me, not, not winning re-election, it, it, it just was one of the worst things I've seen. I, I, I don't know how to I, I don't know how else to say that. Well, it, it set the conservative movement back on so many fronts. And um, and, and it was um, I want people to know that this was not some spontaneous uh, some, some spontaneous virus that launched itself through through the media and through the society. This was a planned and strategized event that that took place. They set this thing up. They were going to go forward with it. They did what they did. They turned all the media broadsides on me. They timed it. They strategized it and they pulled it off. And they had also, as they said, a perfect storm. And uh, I could go into that, but, but I'll say, what was the price of this? For me personally, although when my wife says it perfectly, she said, I'm glad that it's over, but I'm sorry it had to end the way that it did. I'll give her all of the sentiment that's in that very short statement. Uh, but for the people in this country, for the destiny of America, it wasn't. It was a sad loss for these reasons that um, whatever it is to me personally, I've get to see my grandchildren grow up now and and I operate out of my office here at home. There's a lot of joys involved with that. I planted a garden last year for the first time in four years. <laughs> wow. But the other side is that, that the destiny of this country has been set back. And I don't mean this from a vanity standpoint. I mean it from the standpoint of the pro-life movement was handed a heavy blow. Uh, The heartbeat bill was poised to pass Congress, and they shut that down, and Kevin McCarthy killed it right during that period of time. And the marriage issue, which most people have dropped now, as far as I know, I'm the only member of Congress that went to the steps of the Supreme Court building with a microphone and a podium and some speakers and told them what the Constitution said and how they erred in that decision on that forced gay marriage on the whole country. You can go on through the list, the border border wall, on and on and on, uh, Obamacare, these major Pivotal pieces that have moved America to the left have moved the Overton window to the left. And some of those things that I fought for, nobody even talks about anymore. Well, and and so how 
uh, again, we're talking with Congressman Steve King, uh, and his book is uh, out, uh, Walking Through Fire, really worth reading. Um, it's not so much that it's an insider account. There's that aspect of it, but it's a conservative account of going through uh, the battles and, and going through the fire. Um, and that's, to, to me, if you're, especially if you're conservative, it's so interesting to, to see. And, but you still sound, like Steve King always has, joyful. Doesn't mean you're always happy, I'm sure, but you're joyful, uh, confident. Um, but, you know, you watch the stories that have come out even since you did not win. I hate to say the word lose, but you didn't win. And um, it's gotten rapidly worse. You know, anyone who turns around, they call a white supremacist. Anyone who has an opinion that's that's conservative is considered can- not only cancel a bull, but, you know, needs to be canceled. And I often said this you, 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 about the people, the powers that be that said, well, I'm, I'm not going to bother to fight for Steve King. I'm, you know, he's had a long career and he could blah, blah, blah. And my thought was, if you can take out one who is uh, you, you show an example and they're not going to stop. In fact, they've done the opposite. They keep going. And my point, my question, though, Steve, is one of the things you worried about was our America, our nation had a sort has an a, a history and then has an uh, under uh, girding set of ethics and, and values. It feels like that's just sliding away. Well, it sure does. It's in fact, this was going through my head this morning. Uh, my my family, my mother in particular, told me that uh, she drilled it into me. I didn't have a bad mouth as a kid, but she made sure I wouldn't have. But <laughs> that word was the worst word that you could use ever. And never let that get out of your lips. And now it looks to me like it's being normalized in the national media. And that's that's just kind of breathtaking culture shock to me. Uh, that's one, one simple, uh, one, one thing. Then in the schools, they're teaching the things that we nicely called proclivities for generations. And they're advocating and pushing them on our children, the degradation of civil society, of our faithful Christian-based moral foundation that's necessary for this, this constitutional republic to exist and function is being torn apart. Every institution in America has been corrupted to a degree, even our churches. And so I'm calling on people, you've got to restore this thing in your own homes, in your own house, in your own kitchen, your own prayer room, and then raise your children, watch them closely in school, homeschool them if you're not comfortable, and then move this out through your neighborhood, through your parish, through your congregation, your, your neighborhood, your city, your county, your state, and on up to the federal government. We've got to rebuild, restore this civilization, and it's under attack from the hardcore left constantly, and they own these institutions now, and we've got to take them back one person at a time. We're talking with Congressman Steve King and uh, in particular uh, talking about his book, Walking Through the Fire. Um, Steve, one of the things that you talk about um, is the violence of the mobs in this country. It's almost been forgotten in my, in my estimation by a lot of people that they started in May, as you recount, of May of 2020. They went on for the whole summer. Um, how do you look back at that? And, you know, it's, <laughs> I hate to say it, it's one thing, Hunter, Bi- Hunter Biden's laptop, turns out they lied about that. They made that story disappear, but they've made the mobs that were, you know, targeting America, they've almost made the story disappear. Well, and not only that, they, they use the media to gin these, these mobs up. And then they can kill the story when they want to kill the story or move on to something else. Um, but I want people to understand this this part of it is that first I'd take you back to when Trump won the election in 2016. 
George Soros, and this is on the front page of Politico, it isn't just a rumor Steve King's talking about here, um, when he and the high-powered Democrats across the country arrived at the Occidental Mandarin Hotel in Washington, D.C., they were going to plan how they're going to exploit the Hillary presidency, but... You know, they had a bad surprise as far as their viewpoint, but they went to that hotel and planned on how to deal with the Trump presidency and immediately out came the resistance movement. Resist, they were not going to let Trump lead this country and operate as president. That set of demonstrations in the streets across America, many of the major cities in America, and that went on nearly every weekend, plus the more than a million that came into Washington, D.C. to protest with those silly pink caps on that. Yeah. I can't describe them here on this radio. Right, right. That's just a start. Ed. And then, uh, then, then now we get to the George Floyd uh, demonstrations. I'm, so what I'm saying is, is they have the power and the ability to trigger demonstrations anywhere in America. They decide to trigger them. They've got the money to do it and they are funded. This was this is an assault on the culture of America and the strings are pulled at the top and probably all the way to Davos, Switzerland. Uh, we're talking with Congressman Steve King. Uh, his book is Walking Through the Fire, uh, My Fight for the Heart and Soul of America, uh, available everywhere you buy books now. Um, and uh, um, Steve, the, um, your career, um, you, you, people knew you as a conservative, of course, uh, especially on some key issues, life and marriage. And, but I, I, can I say this? I think you are considered one of the most affable guys. People, you know, there's some people that are grumpy that are conservative that are in in public life, right? And um, I'm not judging them. I don't, you know, people's temperament is. But um, even for you who have observed a lot, you know, you you were a firsthand observer of how quickly the establishment sort of walked away from Sarah Palin, for example, when she was not when they didn't win the presidency in 08, she was blamed and walked away, and they marginalized her. But even you're you, over the years watching. Um, you, I think you thought you had more friends. Did you think you had well, more friends than it turns out? There, there isn't any question about that, that observation. And uh, even the people that disagreed with me consistently called me the happy warrior. Um, I didn't see any other way to approach this. I, you know, I asked God every day to loan me the measure of his wisdom that he would have me use this day to go forth and glorify him. And then mm-hmm. I say, and if you have a little extra blessing, let me do so <laughs> with joy. I'm right. sad about that. Uh, I've had that gift for decades, and and it's a gift from God. So I am. I'm a happy guy. And but the friends, um, the friends just lacked the courage to step forward. And I noticed this after I was, uh, you know, the victim of a political lynch mob led by the sheriff, which is in my book, by the way. Um, there are people that I, I chaired the Conservative Opportunity Society for 16 years, and you've spoken there, I know. And yeah, sure. Phyllis has spoken there. Right. The people that room, um, they would keep coming to conservative opportunity. That's a private meeting. It's it's uh, off the record. And it stayed off the record all that time. That room would fill up pretty good. Um, and then, uh, but they didn't always want to be standing in front of a C-SPAN camera with me after that. Yeah. That. And so good people, but they also are caring about their careers. And they know that Kevin McCarthy has the power to destroy anyone in that conference. Anyone. Are you optimistic about the Republican Party and uh, President Trump's leadership of it? Well, I'm optimistic about President Trump's leadership. Uh, And I say this straight out. If he wants a nomination to run again, uh, he'll have my support and he'll have the nomination. And I believe he'll be elected. Uh, There's some movement within the party that is pushing back against that, of course. And these are the 
the rhinos and the never Trumpers and, and those kind of people. I just don't think they'll ever accumulate enough power to deny Trump the nomination. And, and so that's, but as far as the leadership in the Republic and the house or the Senate for that matter, those people were part of attacking me. And why? Because of a misquote in the New York times that I've proven to be untrue. Uh, and so I, I don't have confidence in them. I'm watching as Kevin McCarthy is recruiting rhinos in primaries because he can drop a million dollars into their campaign and assure that they'll vote for him for speaker. He was pretty sure I would not vote for him for speaker. That was part of the motivation of what happened, Ed. Uh, again, we're talking with Congressman Steve King, Walking Through the Fire, um, and uh, his book, which is available everywhere books are available. Uh, ba- and, oh, yeah, go ahead. I'd add to that. Um, I would ask people uh, two things. If they would go to FaithfulText.com, that's that's Colonel Oliver North's publishing company, Fidelis Publishing, FaithfulText.com, or they can go to SteveKing.com, and I will autograph any book that comes out of SteveKing.com. Mm. I'm happy to stay up late at night doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's and understanding and learning this. So thanks, Ed. Although the, what I know about uh, publishing is uh, steveking.com is better for the author if you buy it from him. So uh, steveking.com is uh, where you should go to check it out. Um, Steve, do you think, oh, back for one second to President Trump, um, it's hard to be president, right? But in some ways, they did to him sort of what they did to you. They used the power of the, of the systems, the press, big tech. I mean, you're a lot, the lie about you, the slur about you in large part, it was, it was, um, I mean, you know, this past Sunday and, and when I went to church, they were talking about the, the uh, you know, who, who without sin shall throw the first stone. They use the sort of mob mentality of social media fed by, you know, the New York times, as you point out, but then it was this, this rabid online presence. And most of the, as you point, again, you point out in your book, most of the people that should have stood up said, Oh boy, I better either step back or I might just run for the Hills. Either one of the two, I'm not going to stand still uh, in the face of this, but didn't they do the same thing to president Trump in 2020? Well, they did. And I've thought about that quite a lot. And plus, uh, you know, I, re- I reflected also in their reading on Sunday, um, the same, they had the same reading and uh, how, how profound Jesus's action was. Um, if he had joined in with the mob, of course, he never would have been Jesus. He wouldn't have been the son of God to do that. It would, no Christianity would have emerged on this planet if Jesus would have picked up a stone or, or accepted the idea that the law was to stone that woman. Uh, so, yes, they stoned Trump, and, but Trump had some defenders. He at least had a machine that, and, he, and, and in my case, I didn't have, I had really no effective defenders. Uh, there was not, not a movement to come forward. I think mm. partly because they had been pounding on me for years and I'd been ignoring them for years. They would pick out a quote from 2013 and they'd regurgitate that multiple times across the years. And of course, it wasn't based in context. And everything that I have said, every quote they've attacked me for, any conservative would be proud to have uttered it within the context that I delivered it. And, and I stand on that. In fact, I, deal, I, I write all that in my book uh, to explain that. In Trump's case, he at least had people that could see the power around him, and they stepped forward and defended him. And he went through, uh, he, he went through the fire, too. I'm not no. the only one that's ever walked through the fire. Trump has walked through the fire at much higher stakes. He's yeah. had bigger defense, but much higher stakes. Ed. Uh, walking Through the Fire, again, is the book, uh, Congressman Steve King. What would you do different, Steve, if you could go back? Is there one thing or two things you would do different if you could go back? You know, a year ago when I was asked that question, I answered that, you know, I said, no, I wouldn't do anything different. I, I think that was a bit of a shallow answer after I've reflected some. Um, what, what, what I, I would say this, that 
there's nothing I would say differently, nothing that, no message that I would change because these things needed to be said. Sometimes America needs to, you got to grab them by the shoulders and shake them a little bit. Uh, but what I would do differently is once this came down, um, I, I believe that Kevin McCarthy would have the best interest in mind of the Republican platform, the Republican Party, and the Republican Conference. And I thought that he had a, he had a, a conscience within him that wouldn't allow this unprecedented thing to remove me off from my committees. Uh, the only, there were just a handful of people removed from committees prior to me. They were all convicted federal felons. And I'm removed from committees because of a misquote in the New York Times. So I played the long game with McCarthy. I should not have done that. I should. I did not understand the cunning and the duplicity of Kevin McCarthy. Mm. If I had, I would have taken him on directly rather than playing the long game. And mm. he, he essentially uh, he relied directly to me. I have him on tape. I have him on transcript. I have a witness. And uh, then he went out to the press and he told the press the exact opposite of what he told me and made me out to be the liar two weeks before the, before the primary. So mm. I would have just challenged him from the beginning. We'd have had that fight. I may or may not have won that. But I, but I trusted too much in Kevin McCarthy having a conscience. Hmm. Well, again, Congressman Steve King, uh, he is, uh, well, had, has an extraordinary life. Had, his career in Congress was uh, very important. And uh, I have a feeling with this book, Walking Through the Fire uh, and Other uh, Aspects of Life, Steve King will continue to have a great influence. So thank you, Steve, for coming on. Thanks for all you do. And we appreciate you. I appreciate you. And you're a great friend. Thanks so much, Ed. You're welcome. SteveKing.com. SteveKing.com is where you can go get a copy of the book, Walking Through the Fire. Uh, We will put it up on social media and uh, make sure that uh, people are aware of that. So uh, thanks again. And we'll be right back, everybody. We've got to take a quick break. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Todd Benzman. He's over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, CIS.org. He is the uh, Senior National Security uh, Fellow, and his book, which you all have to have and read, is called America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. It's sitting in front of me on my desk. It doesn't seem to get off my desk, Todd. It, it, it migrates <laughs> around it migrates around, and almost gets over on the bookshelf, and then I end up with it back here. So uh, welcome back, Todd. How are you? Uh, great. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So, well, and, and nobody's covering the border. Uh, they're all covering uh, the border between Ukraine and, uh, and Russia um, because there's a war going on, which, you know, fair enough, I suppose. But um, here we are, our own border. You've got a piece that's posted over at uh, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, earlier on April 4th. Um, and the title is A Silent Marial Airlift from Cuba Underway Just in Time uh, for Massive Phase 2 of the Biden Border Crisis. Walk us through what this is. And then, as always, I'm going to say to you, why isn't anybody covering it? But walk us through what it is. Well, the Cuban uh, diaspora, I guess, has been for a long time in Latin America. Uh, Cubans who want to come to the United States will typically float uh, take boats over to, you know, Guyana and Suriname and then work their way south to the United States. It's a really long, expensive, difficult journey. And now the uh, Ortega government of Nicaragua and the Cuban government have cut a deal for air flights, direct 
uh, or one or two stop air flights from Havana to Nicaragua without visas. So that has set off what some commentators in the Spanish language media have called a Mariel airlift uh, after the Mariel boat lift of the 19 of 1980. Uh, and thousands and thousands are now taking advantage of this, buying air tickets to uh, Managua, which is a big shortcut and heading straight for the U S border. And as a result, we've seen about 40,000 cross our border since they started this thing a few months ago. Uh, and now with the lifting of title 42 in May, I am anticipating, you know, a much vast, uh, vaster, uh, group of Cubans coming through. They'll just be joining, uh, everybody else, uh, that'll be coming through the Southern border, uh, maybe as many as 540,000 a month, uh, once they lift that. Uh, we're, we're talking with Todd Benzman. Um, Todd, is it, Bigger than what we've seen in the last year and a few months? I mean, how, or how much bigger? Or is it just ongoing, accelerating? What, what, what are, what, how does this fit in with the context of what's happening at the border? Sure. Well, first of all, we all know, or we should know, that this is the greatest mass migration crisis in American history. Uh, more people have crossed that border in the last year and three months than than in any year in three months in American history by far. 2.5 million have reached that border, and that's with Title 42 restrictions in place, which is the pandemic uh, instant expulsion policy that that Trump put in. Biden kept most of it, but, but exempted family units and unaccompanied children. So unaccompanied minors. So the, the mass migration that we've had are mostly them. On May 23, they're going to lift the last part of Title 42, which will leave us with a totally open border. There'll be no restrictions whatsoever. Title 42, importantly, took asylum off the table. Anybody who came in and got Title 42 could not apply for asylum so asylum will be back now for everyone, and that's very important because the act of claiming that you're going to apply for asylum at some point gets you out of deportation and into the country. So their Biden administration is expecting as many as 18,000 migrants a day. I mean, right now we have 5,000 or 7,000 a day. Uh, mm-hmm. They're looking at uh, a tripling of this. So 500,000 a month, uh, you know, do the math. You're looking at about a, a city the size of L.A. Uh, and, and those are all going to be entrances. They're not going to be nobody's going to get pushed back into Mexico. Those are the total numbers that will actually be let into the United States, which is different. Uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman. Todd, um, is I. I mean, I'm I'm leading the witness, and 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 so I know. But um, the Biden administration has shown no coherent strategy in the sense 
of adjusting to the crisis, meaning they changed the rules based on, you know, one party won the election, the new president came in, he wanted to change some of the rules. And then they changed the enforcement uh, guidelines or however you describe that, that as the executive branch, they told their people what they, you know, judgment they wanted them to use. Um, But it doesn't, it has seemed like an incoherent strategy in the sense that every now and then there's something that makes you say, well, they do seem to see that there's a major problem. Having warmed you up with that, and here now I'm leading the witness, at this point, we can say that the strategy is, even with hiccups, just to continue to open up the border. I mean, every everything that they're doing, and in a way that will make it so that it's unlikely, even if someone comes and has asylum, the system isn't set up right now that's going to require them to show up for a hearing or not. And, and so you're just kind of, in, you're not formally incentivizing, don't show up, but you're making it pretty clear. I, I mean, this has gotten far beyond anything I ever imagined. I, I assume you did. Is that where we are? Yeah, what it what this really boils down to, you're right, it, it seems incoherent. But what it really the reason it's incoherent is because it boils down to something pretty simple, which is that the Biden people, the people that are running immigration, literally just do not understand how migrants think. It just boils down to that. Migrants don't listen to what you're saying. They don't care what you're saying. They only care about what's happening at the border. Are people getting in? So the Biden administration is letting everybody in. They're paroling. They're, they're just, everybody gets in. If you come to the border uh, and they're, they're busy down there, then you get what's called a humanitarian parole to, to enter the country, which is this reward for you know, your smuggling fees and everything else. And that's what keeps them coming in. And then at the same time, the Biden people will try to, you know, do things that deter them. But the enticement of, of them getting in is so powerful that anything else you do is just ignored. It just gets ignored because, and so that's why it seems like on the one hand, they're doing these things like uh, air deportations home and, uh, you know, they're they're having the Mexicans fly some of the Cubans home and they're having the Colombians, you know, end air transit visas and things like that. But everybody just sees that if they can still get to the border, they're in. Yeah. And so the, the enticement of that is just too great. They don't understand that you have to block them at the border. You have to push them back. You have to make it cost something. Uh, uh, we're, we're talking again with uh, Todd Benzman, his book, America's Covert Border War, still the best book out there. Bombardier books uh, are the best book to understand the dynamic of the border and also all the bad guys and and, and gals that want to come through, whether they're all coming through today or not is not the point. Um, but it's so Todd, um, see, by the way, uh, CIS.org, you can find all of his writings there, the Center for Immigration Studies. Um, but this issue now, I want to ask you the two parts of this. One is People talking about it. Okay. My wife just texted me during the program and said she went to the store and a bag of chicken that we would usually buy, you know, for the kids is like 30% more than it was the last time she bought it, which must have been three weeks ago. You know, it's, uh, it's fried chicken kind of, uh, chicken tenders or whatever they are. Um, so she's worried about this now. Um, gasoline. She's worried about this now. Uh, you watch the polling Republicans are doing. They tell you, Oh man, people are worried about inflation. They're, they're worried about crime. 
so my two-part question is, are people, and first I'll say citizens, are they getting what this issue of the border means? Are you seeing people read and, and, and digest your writings and your commentaries in a way that they understand the severity of the problem? And secondarily, if the severity is so significant, there doesn't seem to be much media coverage. So what's going on here? Well, here's the thing is that, you know, immigration nowadays falls along partisan divide. So there is media coverage along the partisan divide. Conservative media outlets have me on all the time. Right. uh, Talking about this. Uh, But the uh, liberal or, you know, mainstream media, which I think are the same thing, uh, I just they, they don't want to cover this because it just is, you know, a terrible political liability for the Democrats. And they just they just don't want to draw attention to it. Now, there is some obligatory, pretty OK coverage. They parachute in New York Times, uh, L.A. Times, you know, some of the big papers, Washington Post. They, they are covering it, but they're not down there on a regular basis, they'll parachute in. Uh, this thing is too big for even those guys to not cover it, uh, totally not cover it, but, but they're not, it's not sustained coverage. It's just parachuting in, which I think is insufficient to the second, third, fourth uh, level co- uh, consequences for American society. That th- this, is, this is something that is not just some kind of a surge at the border. This is a permanently long-term altering event in American history. This is something truly outside of the American experience that we've ever had. And it's about to um, really gear up in, in a way that, that I can't even really imagine. I mean, I don't think anybody can even imagine it. I mean, I've got my go bag. Uh, to go down and see this thing like like maybe a spectator to you know some terrible accident or something you just have to see this what's what's about to happen the administration and and i don't know how they're going to not be able to cover this one in a sustained way when it uh, may 23rd when they lift title 42 but the administration is preparing a, a massive response to manage this thing, not to stop it, by the way, but to facilitate the quicker entry of everybody into the country. <laughs> so they're talking bringing the military in. They're, they've already uh, triggered FEMA to come down and treat this like a disaster zone. Uh, they're, they, they are marshalling uh, fleets of aircraft uh, and pilots to be able to fly the migr- the migrants all around to emptier places so that they can manage the flow. What they're trying to, to do is they're, they're anticipating that there'll be these massive camps that, that form instantaneously like the Del Rio camp of, uh, back in September, but lots of those all along the border, and they don't want people to be uh, trapped in those things for very long. They want to they keep them reduced and so they got to bring aircraft in and buses and and vehicles and drivers and pilots to move people off the riverbank um 
they they put together um, an army of volunteers uh, from federal agencies, all federal agencies that aren't even border agencies. Just can you help? Can we get your body in here to help process the numbers that that are coming? So this this thing, just by the preparations that they're making, tells me that you know this is going to be something really monumental. I don't know how anybody's going to not be able to cover this thing. I mean, it's just going to be something really different. Uh, Todd, what's the date of it? I mean, you're counting down. I mean, it's May, as you say, it's May 23rd. May 23 is the day that they say they're going to lift title 42, but uh, there's already evidence that the whole world has heard about this. They got that date. They put it in their calendars. Every poor country in the world uh, knows about Title 42 lifting. And so the pooling up has already begun. They will start to come uh, pushing through Mexico and uh, they will be, I mean, I anticipate there'll be thousands and thousands in Mexico waiting on, on for that day to happen. Uh, wow. So it's going to be. Yes, uh, I'd say it sounds crazy like sci- science fiction, but uh, I know better to say that to you. All right, Todd, I got to run, unfortunately. Uh, Todd Benzman, everybody, Center for Immigration Studies.org. I'll put up on social media all his stuff. Uh, so important. We'll have you on again very soon, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A harsh winter is a reminder of just how important affordable American energy sources are. Europe is weak because it's in the grip of an energy crisis with some prices soaring tenfold in just two years. Europe depends for nearly 30% of its oil and gas supplies on Russia. German manufacturing is particularly dependent for energy on Russia after environmentalists forced Germany to dismantle all 17 of its nuclear power plants that didn't even contribute to any climate change. It doesn't take a master tactician to realize the need for energy independence in the United States, but the Biden administration went soft on Russia by refusing to place any sanctions until the invasion was already underway. President Trump achieved oil independence for the United States for the first time in more than half a century. But Joe Biden has tried to make us dependent on foreign oil again. He reinstated Obama's phony social cost of carbon that places a prohibitively high estimated cost on each ton of carbon dioxide released by any energy-related activity. There's no credible evidence supporting such a social cost of carbon, which the good Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry has appropriately referred to as voodoo economics. He points out that Congress has never authorized the EPA to issue regulations based on such arbitrary estimates. Far be it for the Biden administration to let a little thing like congressional authority get in the way of its climate agenda. Gas prices are increasing on an almost daily basis. But rather than address this by allowing new drilling, the resumption of the Keystone Pipeline, and cutting burdensome regulations, Joe Biden will blame the rest of the world. And rather than own up to his own energy policies, he'll fix the blame on Russia and the war with Ukraine. The American people should not forget that gas prices were rising dramatically long before anyone was talking about Russia or Ukraine. The real social cost of carbon is an unnecessary dependency on foreign countries for energy. 
and far too much regulation of energy production at home. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability. Never hesitating to say, America first. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let me finish by pointing you two places on the pro-life issue. One, I want to remind you of a book called Abuse of Discretion by Clark Forsyth, F-O-R-S-Y-T-H-E. Clark Forsyth is an extraordinary guy, lawyer. He writes a book, Abuse of Discretion, about he looked back and finally got the notes from the bench, from the memos back and forth in 1972 and three on Roe v. Wade. Really interesting stuff. Second thing is, and related, Uh, Related to that is I'm doing a new podcast with Jordan Henry called Life Matters. Life Matters. If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, our website where my day work is happening so often, you'll find there a link to it. Life Matters is a podcast because what we're trying to do is rally the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling. It's an important year, 2022, so go check it out. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer. Thank you to our our associate producer, Joanna Spilger. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.